Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Good morning, folks from all over the country. It's September the 30th, 2018. We are from Coolidge, Arizona. Glad to have you with us today. We have a surprise, first of all, that Jesus arose from the dead. That changes all of the dynamics. Well, I don't think much about it. Oh, I see. Well, then, I guess we all go home. You see, that's, that's a surprise that ought to shock you right off your bench. Because Jesus arose. Now we know from God's perspective that there is life after death. And if anything means anything, that ought to mean everything to you. Here's another surprise. You know that there's no Bible verse authorizing music in the assembly? Authorizing. Well, yeah, you can look to your blue in the face, but you won't find it. You'll find in you'll find an instruction on how people ought to challenge one another or correct one another in psalms and hymns. But it has nothing to do with a public assembly. Nothing. Because if it did, then everything else in that context would have to be limited to the public assembly. And that isn't true. Also, I want you to turn to Acts 2.42 real quick, and this is all free, by the way. But the interest is amazing. That'll get you. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Start there. That's right. We start there, and and they were continually devoting themselves, and 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 that means that they were working themselves towards strength. That word prosuke means toward. Strength is translated continued steadfastly, but it is a direction that the people were taken toward the apostolic teaching. I pause on in purpose. Now, that isn't all of that verse. Teaching is a noun. I think we don't have any argument with that. And we're, they, they were continually devoting themselves or strengthening themselves toward, well, toward strength. They, they wanted to have a firmness. And so it, there was a plan and a purpose and a direction in what they were doing. 
and the fellowship. Fellowship is not an act. You can't go out and do a fellowship. No, it's a noun. Huh? It's a thing. It's a thing. In this case, it's in feminine gender, but it's a thing. Um, koinia means to have all things in equal. So, see, the first word is they were working toward this having a fellowship functioning, but it was the house that they had moved into that they were enhancing. Fellowship, a noun, not an activity. What do we use and confuse in the in most of our churches with fellowship? Do we have a fellowship hour? What do we mean by that? Or a fellowship hall that we all go into so we can do activities. There are activities things. involved in that. Yeah. But so. the word fellowship is that you have you are developing the strength of the commonness of the unity. Not an action, but it's a noun. Now notice the next one, in the breaking of bread. Now the thing that adds a little different dimension to this one is that we have, uh, we have the breaking there, but it's not a verb. Huh? It's a noun. It's a noun too. So he's talking about there is, is not a verb, it's not an action. We have no authorization in the New Testament for the breaking of bread in the assembly. You can't find it. It does not exist. That doesn't mean it's wrong, by the way. I'm just talking about this verse. This verse, this context. This context. So the breaking of bread, we would think of it as being a verb. An activity. An activity. But it is a condition of developing strength. That's what the first word, remember? We've got this verse so messed up, and particularly those who use, you know, the four things as the four steps of worship are totally off base. According to this context. According to this context. Yes. And in prayer. See, prayer is not a verb. What is it here? It's a noun. It's in the feminine gender, which isn't important here, but it's in concord with the article. The, the, the prayer, prayers, and in this case, plural, but it is a state of being. It isn't an action. There is no authorization in the New Testament for congregational prayer. It's not a thing you go into and out of. Cannot do it's that. A... And they were, we have missed the point because here it's developing strength toward having this condition in the church, not as an action. And when we relegate it to an action, now that doesn't mean that there weren't prayers, but you notice every time that they're used, they're individuals, not corporate. Exactly. There's no, 
There's no example of corporate praying anywhere in the scriptures unless you would include the women by the river as a corporation and they were praying for certain things, but there are very specific things that they prayed for. Folks, we need to get back to this verse in realizing that we are to be growing in each of these areas, not in areas of action, but in areas of condition. David, it reminds me of the verse, pray without ceasing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, from, I believe, the Apostle Paul, and I'm not sure exactly where it's at, but it was in First instructions, five. instructions for the church in Thessalonica. Yeah. Yeah. And you see that now as a condition of that group to keep applying themselves to move forward to spread the word. That's right. And there, that was the bottom line of all of it. Yeah, I mean, it does make a lot of sense. Yeah. Then the action... I'm going to stop there. Okay. Um, I think the, I know where you're going, but okay, I understand. Yeah, I'm, I don't want to go there. Um, you see, sometimes I have to think, too, but I don't want to get myself... I, I, I just simply wanted to make a statement of the surprise of the text is that, first of all, Jesus arose from the dead. That ought to change everything. That is the point of change in everybody's thinking. Everything must be affected by that fact of Jesus' resurrection, how you view life, how you view people. There is life after death, and that's what is what that's what that substantiates. David, I'll add this: the historians have been kicking dirt over on that fact ever since it happened. Yep. Ever since it happened. And so, if people who enjoy conspiracies, if they enjoy that activity and searching them out, there's one to hunt down. Yep. Because it changed everything. But the point here is, what has it done to you? And I'm laying the foundation for where I'm going today. You see, sometimes we have lessons without a foundation. I'm guilty of that, too. Ten seconds. Surprise number three for the morning. Ten seconds after death, you will know your eternal destiny. And you're going to be surprised when you don't make it into the realm of God because the thing that you see right after death is the glory that you could have participated in and the inheritance of the saints that we talked about last week. You can see what the saints are inheriting as joint heirs with Christ, as joint heirs with all the heavenly host. You could see, you will see what you could have had. But you didn't get serious enough about it soon enough to take action.
and it's going to be a surprise. You see, we want to move on because in 1 Peter chapter 1, no, Hebrews 9.15, uh, your, if you have notes, we're in the bottom third of your notes from last week, but I've added to it some so that we would have it all in one page today. And uh, it, um, in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 15, that the, the, the inheritance includes the fact that you've been redeemed. How are you, my friend? Johnny, it's good to see you. How are you doing? You've had a stroke. Yeah. Okay. Well, you had another small one? Yeah. So Johnny just entered us here from uh, the reservation, and he has had a stroke. And you're precious to us if you've had a stroke or no stroke. We love you the same. Okay. So in Hebrews, I'm glad to see you today. In Hebrews 9 and verse 15, he, for this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant. Now, the author is writing this out of the mind of God. So pay attention to it. It does make a difference. It's just not man writing if God didn't use a man, you couldn't understand it. He used a man <coughs> so that you would have an understanding of what he was saying. He is the mediator of a new covenant so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions so that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the inheritance of the eternal inheritance. So here we have that idea of inheritance. Either when 10 seconds after death, you will know what your inheritance is. If your preparation hasn't been in accord with the scripture, you will not receive an inheritance no matter how wise how savvy you have been regarding how you've lived your life. It, base, it is based on whether or not you have been redeemed, purchased back into unity with God because the debt of your sin has been paid and you acknowledge it. And that just leaves a lot of folks in the church out. You can tell when you have a business meeting whether people are cognizant of this principle or not because of where they go with where they think they want to go. Redemption is the only means of having promise of the inheritance 
the inheritance that God has provided for us, that we be joint heirs with Christ and joint heirs with the heavenly host. Now let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 to 5. I think you have that clear. That's why we are talking about the most serious thing and the only thing that matters in life. We've talked about, in our past so far, we've talked about where we came from, why we are here, now where we are going. And where you are going is up to you whether or not you will receive the inheritance. Look at, the, look at 1 Peter 1, chapter 1 and verse 3. Speak well of the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again. And that's the apostles here. I think he's referring because he's referring to the apostles. And later on, you see down in verse 6, he, he changes the pronoun to a you. So he's talking about two different groups has caused us to be born again to a living hope, but now he talks about this to which everybody will be, will be, can be a part of if they choose. Why do the Jews have to be born again? Is because they were born into what covenant? The old covenant, and the Jews, uh, the apostles being Jews, uh, were born into that old covenant, and so they have to, they have to then be born again. Um, whereas that's never talked to uh, concerning the Gentile. And actually, the word born here, if we were to look at it more carefully, I'm, I'm going to have um, uh, Alex pull that up right there. You see, it really isn't born again. It's having been begotten. Yeah. And so the word born... Uh, Suggest a completed item, whereas having been begotten is, is the start of something. It's just the beginning of it. So that's, that's what the word is. So he's, unto a hope, into a hope, lively hope, on account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ out of the dead. And we talked about the resurrection this morning. That should make a difference to you that Jesus arose from the dead. No other religion has any leader who rose from the dead. Hindu, Buddhism, no religion anywhere in the world has a risen Savior. That's why Christianity is so unique. And the focal point is the resurrection, that there is life after death. And we have that life after death on God's terms. An inheritance, now he describes the big picture. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. That's the Christians to whom he's addressing, see? See the change? 
Now, he gives us the, the basis in uh, verse, uh, verse 3 and 4. Now he narrows it down. There is an inheritance to be obtained. It is an imperishable. What does imperishable mean? Did you ever have a box of apples? What happens when, well, they rot. They rot. Are they any good when they're rotten? No. Not much good. So I, I lost my, there we go. So an inheritance, incorruptible, it can't rot. It's an adjective there, incorruptible. An inheritance, folks, that is the only inheritance worth achieving. Based on what someone else has accomplished, that's why the word inheritance is used, is based on what Christ accomplished. And as that accomplishment, as that accomplishment of him, you have access to this inheritance. And this inheritance is incorruptible. And it has no soil. No, it is undefiled. And it does not fade. No fading away. You've all seen probably the hood and the, the, the roof of my truck. It's 23 years old. And the red is fading. And it's obvious. It's fading away. It's where it's reserved in heaven into you all. The word therefore is not for, but it's into you. God has this reserved so that it can enter and you can become a participant in it. That's why it's into you, you all. Now, that, that ought to be a game changer, but it isn't. Some of you are still more interested in the football game today than you are this. Some of you are still interested, more interested in what's going on in the political world than you are this. But there's no inheritance from any of those things. None. At all. They take you nowhere. Absolutely nowhere. This takes you everywhere because you become a somebody. Look at Hebrews 1. Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 4, and this is just kind of a sideline here. He, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels. Now, who, who are represented in the angel group from our past lessons? Heavenly. The heavenly host. That's right. As he has inherited a more excellent name, he has inherited from whom? God. A more, inher a more excellent name than they. They have an excellent name, but the angels have an excellent name, but his what he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. 
and you become a joint heirs with him, with the Father and with the Son, and that includes the heavenly host. One second, ten seconds after death, and your eternal destiny has been sealed. Verse 14. Now that, unless you're dead, that ought to mean something to you. You know, you, you can poke a dead dog all day. And it doesn't do anything. It doesn't jump. And there are some people that are just as dead when it comes to these matters. And we ought to be jumping Jumping with joy, jumping with enthusiasm, jumping with meaning that, you know, we've, we're being prodded and it ought to make a difference. Are, and now verse 14, are they not all ministering spirits? And he's talking here about the angels that are whom? The heavenly host. The heavenly host, or, you know, a part of the heavenly host. And they're sent out to render service. Are they not all, these angels, of which Christ is superior to? Are they not all ministering spirits? Ministering angels? Ministering to whom? For those who will inherit salvation. Are you going to be an inheritor of your salvation, of the salvation? You have to inherit it. You have to qualify for it. You have to be a part of the family of God and know it and proclaim it and live it. And if so, then what is out there? We don't know how. We don't know where. We don't know what they are doing. And as soon as you start second-guessing, they're going to fool you because they want to keep you in faith, not in certainty. Are they not all ministering spirits? Folks, we have a heavenly host out there surrounding us to, to aid us as inheritors of salvation to ensure the object of why they are rendering service because the rendering of their service is to keep us in the direction of inheriting that salvation. It's not to help you get over a stroke. It's not to help you get over a headache. It's not to help you get over an ingrown toenail. It's not to help you get over a heart attack. It's not to help you do this or that. How about get home safe? Oh, what? How about get home safely? Getting home safely? Yeah, they help you do that. They, they, they won't even help you get home safely. Because as soon as they did and you knew it, then you've just jumped out of faith and into certainty, and there's no salvation in certainty. Salvation is by faith, and those who inherit salvation live on account of faith. All right, let's go to James chapter 4 and verse 7. Moving right along. 
and I have to because we don't have a lot of time left and we're hardly started. James or Galatians? What? Where at James? James, uh, I mean, uh, uh, Galatians 4 7. Folks, those are earth-shattering voice uh, ver uh, verses. Those truths are inescapable. You have to stand up and face up to them. If you just gloss over them, you're you're not in tune with the very theme of God's here, and we have to be there. We want to have our inheritance assured. Therefore. He says, first of all, Abba, Father. That means Father, Father. Father in Hebrew and Father in English, in our case. Therefore, you are no longer a slave. You see, God, you are sons, in verse 6. You are sons. But now, you're no longer a slave. That means subject to your government in any level in any form, not to your neighbor, in any way, you're no longer a slave, but you may be a slave in your society, but you're no longer a slave from God's perspective. You see, that's what matters. We don't count into that, but you know, that's, that's the way it ought to be. That's big, David. I mean, really, you could teach weeks and weeks of lessons on that. You really could, right there. Yep. Nolan's got it. Hit the nail right on the head. I hope that everybody caught on to that, because it is, that's the big, big lesson. You are no longer a slave, but you're a son. If you call God Father... It's because of what he has done, and you've become his child, and you have become a son. You've become a son of God. And if you're a son, then a what? Then an heir. An heir through God. An heir of God. With all of God's realm accessible to you. You know, people often talk about how great it is to be an heir or how great it would be to be an heir. Wouldn't that be great if I was an heir of some fortune? Yeah. An heir of some, oh, like them, and I hate them. You know. Yeah. Well, what do you think? That's a game changer too. You're you're no longer a slave to anybody. No matter if you're bound in chains, you're not a slave if you're a son. If you belong to God. And if you're a son, then the object of this lesson is to bring us to the point and, and of this phase of our lessons is to bring us to an understanding that we are an heir through God. We have an heirship to secure, but we have to meet the terms.
Look at James 2, 5. James 2, 5. I'm hoping that these verses are progressive. That's, that's how I designed it. Listen, my beloved brethren. Did not God choose the poor of this world? Not because they were poor, by the way. But he chose those in contrast so they could be rich in faith and what? Heirs. Heirs of the kingdom. Now the important part, the important part of this Heirs of the kingdom which he, oh, oh, which he promised to those who love him. He says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. So there's an action involved in love. But he says, I have chosen these people who are poor of this world, that could be poor in spirit, poor in attitude, poor in distribution of wealth, poor in accumulation of wealth. It could be any kind of poor, but there is a specific word for poor, and this means simply without, without, without. But they have chosen the people who are without anything to be rich in faith because there's a contrast involved that no matter how how much you have accumulated in life and how well you manage your affairs, you're dirt poor. I don't care who you are. You're dirt poor. If you're not rich in faith, you're dirt poor. And if you're rich in faith, it's because you are heirs of the kingdom. That's a game changer. Heirs of the kingdom. And he has promised that. He has promised you to be an heir of the kingdom if you love him. Adhere and maintain a love for truth. That's a game changer. Here he's in a contrast between the rich and the poor. But the point that we're after is that there is a condition. You have to love him, but there is promise to those who love him, heirship. If you're not an heir of God, you're lost. And if you are an heir of God, you're sitting up and taking notice because this is the most vital thing for you today that you could possibly hear and listen to. And if you discount it and cast it aside, I think it's proof of the pudding. You haven't got a handle on your life at all. Now, I want you to go to John chapter 14 and verse 6. John 14 and verse 6. You see, the Lord has made a way. We're going to come back to, to Galatians chapter 3 next week. I'm not going to start that tonight, today. 
But in this verse, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Everybody's memorized that. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Everybody knows that. No one comes to the Father but through Buddha. But But through me. I am the way. I, he has made a way. And he has made a way to what? To the Father. I am the way, the truth. And so we have come to the Father through what? The way, the truth is the way to the Father. I am the way and the truth is the only way you come to the Father. And the life they come through truth. Life is truth. Truth is life. They're inseparable things. I am the way, the way, the truth. That is the wholeness of the way. The wholeness of the truth. The wholeness of life. And you're disregarding that? That I am the way, the truth, and the life? You think that's secondary? You think that's less important than what you're having for lunch today? Yeah, we've got food on our mind. And I like food. Boy, first football and now food. You really know how to hit a guy. I do. First football and now and now food. Yeah, I'm I'm just sorry about that, Nolan. But that's the way it is. We gotta we gotta make people mad, sad or glad and well, I don't care which. To be fair, our game doesn't come on today. So oh, your game we're, doesn't we're not come on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I, uh, you know what strikes me is why is it that none of the creeds of churches uh, aren't simply that verse? You don't find it. No. Is that right? I, it, it, it's, they might go all around it, but they never want to put it together in, in the absolute perfect form, and it is there. It's inescapable. It, if it, you it, want a creed, there it is. Why? Because it takes the clarity out of it, or, or what? I, I, I think probably so. It does elevate the, the head, yes. So, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Yeah. That's our next verse. That's John uh, 14, 11, 25, and 26. See, I am the resurrection and the life. See, I, I am the life. But he's the resurrection because that's what gave him the life. He believes positioned in me. He who believes positioned, he, you are in the position of Christ. Next week we talk about how we come into Christ so that we are in Him. I'm waiting for Alex. Into, into. So it's a process. So I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes. 
in me or into, will live even if he eats sauerkraut for lunch. Even if he dies. Even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes, what is it there? Into, in me. Is it into? In the Greek? Yeah. Yeah. It's in there. It's the same there. He who believes and moves into Christ. You see, that, that that's the why, why the word into is there, not just the word in. It means that you have to believe on the outside and you have to believe until it moves you to a position inside. He who believes into me. If you have not been believing and letting that belief move you through obedience into Christ, you have no promise, you have no hope. I don't care what you think about who you are. That's not going to count 10 seconds after death. You better get serious about this. These are not mere words. Whoso liveth and believeth into me shall never die. If you want to be a participant in that promise, then you'd better adhere to the means of how that is accomplished. Let's look at John 8:51, and we'll close. In the jar, David. In the jar. That's right. So we have to be in the jar. You remember that, don't you? I'll never forget it. You'll never forget that. We have to be where the uh, the, the love is. The, where the love the is. Promise the promise is. Our responsibility is to move into that. Move into that place where those things are all a part of, and that's we identified as, as the jar before. Yeah. Ted's hot, hot dog, you go into Ted's and buy one yep. and eat it. Yeah. But if you're just walking, walking up and down mill, it's probably not a very good chance that someone's going to just walk up and read your mind and give you one. Yeah. Get you thought about it. Oh, I wouldn't want to take it if it did because you wouldn't know what else was in it. All right. And we close with this verse, 851. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my... See, oh, we got another condition, folks. If anyone preserves my word... See, keeping means to be a caretaker of. If you are a caretaker, personally, individually, that's why it says if anyone is a caretaker of my truth, of my word, if you partake and and uh, preserve his word, you will never see death. So we have another another condition. Not only those who love him, but those who preserve his word will never see death. Now the Jew says, we know you have a demon. You see, a lot of you folks are identifying yourself and getting lined up right now, right now as I'm speaking. A lot of you folks are lining up with the devil, with the demons, because you don't see any value to that at all. It's not making any impact on your life. It's not changing you in any regard. 
is not changing your priorities in life. It's not changing how you feel, how you walk. It's not changing how you eat. It's not changing anything. They're just words to you. Shame. You're on the side of the demons. Repent and come to the truth. There's hope in redemption, and in redemption there is inheritance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.